This week on Blue 58, what's wrong with NFL media? We take on that question and dig into the history books for a look at James Lofton. Then we talk about the players for whom our expectations are the highest this season. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the official podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. My normal co-host, Gary Zillavi, is off this week. He is touring the Italian countryside. Let's dive right in with some headlines this week that you've seen on thepowersweep.com. We're talking about ESPN to start. ESPN radio host Dan Lebitard talked about the NFL media in what I thought was a very interesting way. Uh, I'm going to read a portion of uh, the piece that we wrote on thepowersweep.com this week, quoting from Lebetard's show, and this is this is an extended quote from Mr. Lebetard. There is a culture in the media that criticizes and blames the player, but we don't really understand enough about what goes into a daily game plan in basketball or a weekly game plan in football to be able, as media or fans, to criticize a game plan. The people doing these things for a living know vastly more than we do as fans or media. But what I want to ask is this. There have to have been times in the NFL where the game plan was total garbage and it exposed a player, right? So why do we have a sports environment where a coach could have a terrible game plan and there's no place for an employee to criticize it publicly and there's no place for a fan or a media member to know enough to be able to say, Hey, you know what? Mike McCarthy is wasting Aaron Rodgers' career because his game plans stink. Because we don't know enough about what it is that we're watching. I feel like Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback I've ever seen, and I feel like there is something wrong there because he's not one more because of how incredible this guy is as a quarterback. That's the end of the quote, and there's a couple things to unpack there. First of all, I think I agree with his larger point completely, and his use of the Packers there is a very, very apt example. He's extremely, extremely right that we just don't know enough as fans or as writers about the NFL to really criticize in depth what a coach or a team is doing. Sometimes when a team obviously screws things up or overthinks things or underthinks things, it's just very obvious and it's easy to criticize things. If the if the Chicago Bears draft pick this past spring of Mitchell Trubisky doesn't work out, I mean, there's going to be no shortage of criticism. It was an obvious calculated gamble from the start. And if it doesn't work out, the reasons why are going to be very obvious. They probably overpaid for that spot as it is. And if he doesn't go on to be a game-changing quarterback, it's easy to see that that was a bad choice. The day-to-day, the week-to-week stuff is incredibly complex and difficult to understand. And I think we get a hint of an idea of what's going on, but not the full picture. And I think, and Bill Belichick actually alluded to this a couple years ago when it first became available, the availability of this All-22 film, the coaches film, while great, it does confuse or mislead people just as much as it informs. We can't really see the game plan for what's going on behind the play calls or behind the way that things were executed the way that they were. We see the results of the play and we see what players did on one particular down or a series of downs or an entire game. We don't necessarily understand why they did things the way that they did. I've seen a couple times a player will get called out in the All-22 film and he'll shoot back on Twitter or Facebook or something like that, maybe through another media channel and be like, I was just doing my job. That's what I was supposed to do on that play. Or 
uh, I've seen other examples come up where a player screwed up his assignment, the play ended up working out, and he doesn't get the criticism that he probably deserved. From my playing experience, and take it for what it's worth, small level NAIA ball, it's very possible for a player to run the wrong route or end up in the wrong place at the wrong time and still make a great play just because things break their way. It's wrong for players to get credit for that and they're going to get burned by their coaches behind the scenes or criticized because they didn't do what they were supposed to do, but we just don't have an avenue for knowing what they were supposed to do. So what does this really mean? What does Levitard's point mean for us as NFL fans and as people who write and think and talk about the NFL? I think we have to know our roles, and that comes in two main packages here. First, don't criticize things that we don't understand. Don't presume to know things that we don't understand. If someone is obviously screwing something up, and there are times, like I said, that you can see an obvious screw-up on the field, then I think that criticism is warranted. Or at least asking players or people who may know what's going on questions about a particular play is warranted. Second, we have to have data or information about the things that we say. If you're going to make a claim about something, anything, whether it's something that happens on the field, uh, some historical event about a team, a play, a player, have the data to back it up. Have a way to verify or substantiate your claims. Don't just get out there and say, I don't think the Packers are using the player X right because of this without any sort of evidence to back that up. And be careful, even if you do think that you do have the evidence, uh, of relying too much on on your own conclusions. Oftentimes, it's good to have somebody else just bounce those ideas off them and see if, if that's something that makes sense or if you're understanding things right. I have a couple different friends who, who work at different levels of football, and sometimes I bounce ideas off of just to see if I'm understanding things correctly. A friend of mine who has, has played offensive line at a relatively high level, someone I turn to on a regular basis, to talk about offensive line play because I just don't understand all the nuances of of how that works all the time. And and when I need something clarified, I I go to him a lot. Find those people in your life if you have them. And if you don't, look for them. There are generally people who are willing to talk. The point is, know what you're you're talking about to the extent that you can if you're trying to criticize something and, and learn about things before you attempt to offer some criticism. Moving on to our second headline, this is something we talked about on the blog this week and a little bit on the podcast, in fact, last week as well. We talked and wrote about Don Hudson on the blog about a week ago now, and I got some questions online about, well, if Don Hudson was so great, what about guys like James Lofton and Sterling Sharp? So I did a little bit of research on James Lofton and came up with some interesting stuff about him, too. I think Hudson is a, an entirely different kind of player just because of the era in which he played, but Lofton and Sharp, both great players, too. Lofton, in particular, uh, he is what I call, on the blog, the king of the big play, and a fantastic athlete, great all-around performer in track and field. In 1978, he qualified for the national championships in the 100, 200, and 400-meter races, as well as the long jump, and he ended up winning the long jump uh, that particular year. Was a great track athlete all-around, holds a career-best 20.5 time in the 200-meter dash, actually beat gold medalist Carl Lewis in a head-to-head half-mile race. Now, given that's not Lewis's greatest event, but still, Lewis, a a world-class track athlete, 
couldn't stand up to Lofton there. On the football field, we mentioned this a little bit last week, but I think it bears repeating here. Lofton, very impressive getting deep uh, with with the Packers and really throughout his entire NFL career. In 11 of his 16 NFL seasons, Lofton had at least one reception of 50 yards or more, including six different seasons where he scored from at least 71 yards away. He also showed up in his yards per catch average. He averaged at least 20 yards per reception in four different seasons where he had at least 35 catches. He missed a fifth season by just three yards, averaging 19.9 yards per reception on 35 catches in 1982. So had he ended up with 600 uh, 99 yards instead of the 696 that I think that he had, he would have had another 20-yard season average or 20 yards per catch season average for the entire year. He would have averaged 20 yards per catch for the entire season. That's what I'm trying to say. An impressive player. Watch his highlights if you ever get a chance. Very, very interesting, especially playing for the Packers in the middle of the, the I guess, the dark ages after after Lombardi left in the 70s and 80s. But fascinating guy. Uh, check out the video we have of that half-mile race on the block. It's definitely worth your time. It just, it's very odd. It was for this competition called Superstars in 1986. You had James Lofton, Carl Lewis, and then a couple random NFL players doing these various track and field events. Just really, really weird. And you can't can't really picture that happening today but different time and and uh, it's it's great that we have video check that out when you can hey before we turn to our main topic i wanted to make you aware of our patreon page that's a way that you can support the power sweep directly we recently had a very generous donor uh fund our entire base level um of funding so we've met our funding goal for the entire next year We're going to be able to pay for all of our hosting and things like that online for the entire next year. Unfortunately, there are still some needs out there, and we're going to be posting some more information about that online in the near future. But I wanted to thank you for your support of the Power Sweep there. And if you feel so moved, do stop by our Patreon page, drop in a buck a month. It would go a long way towards helping us keep the Power Sweep and Blue 58 running at the level they are. It means the world to me and to Gary. Uh, it's great that we have so many people out there who are willing to support the Power Sweep and what we do. And uh, if you want to support in a very tangible uh, monetary way, Patreon is a very great way to do it. We see all the money that you donate there. Patreon takes a very, very, very minimal, minimal cut. Um, and we're, we're just excited that people have chosen to connect with us this way. And we'd love to see more people jump on that if you feel so led. So uh, check that out. We've got links to it at thepowersweep.com. There should be a link to our support page on the right side of, the, the, of our homepage. Uh, you can find all the information that you need there. It's a great opportunity, and it's a way that you can support us very directly. Help us keep the good stuff going here at thepowersweep.com and, uh, and Blue58. On with the show. I wrote a post this week on thepowersweep.com called Setting Expectations for the Offense. I think this is a very important thing to talk about a little bit more in depth uh, because expectations are what it's all about. If you go into a situation with the right expectations or the right level of expectations, chances are you're going to have a higher level of enjoyment or a better understanding of what's going on than if you went in with expectations that were way out of whack. It's, it's, it's important to, to have the right mindset about uh, 
things like, I don't know, an example for me always is movies. If I'm going into a particular movie with very, very high expectations, there's a good chance that I'm going to be disappointed because it's hard to live up to high expectations. But if I go into a movie with very, very low expectations or just, hey, we're going to see what we get out of this, chances are you're going to have a really good time. An example I like to use all the time, or, or two movies that I like to use as examples of this, are The Force Awakens, the most recent, I guess, uh, trilogy film of Star Wars, Star Wars Episode Seven, and Pacific Rim. I went into The Force Awakens with incredibly high expectations, and it was a huge disappointment because it just it could never have lived up to those expectations. Also because it's not a very good movie, but that's an entirely different can of worms. But the expectations were a big part of that. Pacific Rim, on the other hand, no expectations whatsoever. Uh, if it was good at all, it would be a surprise. And actually, I ended up enjoying it a lot. It's just a fun movie, and having the right expectations about it made all the difference. Works that way for football players as well. And it doesn't really work, especially in this case, to compare football players to other football players. You really have to compare player against himself. Comparing Aaron Rodgers to Joe Callahan would just be stupid for both of them. Callahan's never going to live up to Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers is just measured on an entirely different scale from Joe Callahan. Even comparing players like Jordy Nelson and Devontae Adams just doesn't make sense. You expect very different things from those two guys. They play very differently. It's a disservice to both of them uh, to compare them or compare their expectations in some sort of similar ways. So what are the rules? How do we compare people or, or set expectations in, a, in an appropriate way? Well, three guidelines that I used when coming together or coming up with this list. Uh, role matters. You're going to have higher expectations for a starter than a backup, at least most of the time. And there are a couple exceptions. There are some backups we have very high expectations for this season, and we'll get to that in a second. But generally speaking, starters are going to have higher, higher expectations than backups. Past performance matters as well. What you've done in the past will affect what we expect from you in the future. So Clay Matthews hasn't been ultra productive the last few seasons, but we still hold him to very high expectations because of what he's done in the past. We may not expect him to be the player that he was in 2009 or 2010, but we do expect him to play at a higher level than we've seen of him recently. So we'll talk a little bit about the defense in a couple of weeks. This is all offense, but we, uh, Clay Matthews is a good example there. And who you are, finally, as a player matters. Don Barclay's high expectations, even if he does end up in the starting lineup at some point this season, are going to be vastly different than the expectations we have for David Bakhtiari. There's just a different ceiling there, even a different floor in terms of their production. So who you are as a player, the kind of guy you are, the kind of uh, role you play on the team, that all matters and what you've done in the past. Even though the entire list of offensive players and their expectations is available on the blog right now, just for the podcast, we're going to go through the players for whom we have high expectations this year and explain a little bit more why. Sound good? Good. Let's dive right in. Starting with the first player for whom we have high expectations, in fact, a backup. It's Brett Hundley. I think this is as close to a make-or-break season as you're ever going to see for a backup quarterback, at least with the Packers. A fifth-round pick three years ago, the Packers have made no bones about it. They would like to trade Brett Hundley if they could. They even tried to do it, apparently, earlier this spring. And how he performed this season 
is going to have a lot of bearing on whether or not the Packers are able to trade him in the future. Hundley himself says he would like to see a first-round pick come to the Packers in exchange for his services going elsewhere. So just from his perspective, he's got to play a lot better if he wants to justify that kind of price tag. Very interesting to see what happens with Mr. Hundley this year. And as a result, he has some high expectations to live up to. Player number two on the high expectations list is Trevor Davis. Packers didn't draft two wide receivers uh, this past spring and pick up a couple more in undrafted free agency because they were super happy with Trevor Davis and they just think he's wonderful. No, he's got to produce. It's time to produce now. And generally, if you're a Packers draft pick, you've got a couple years to make something happen. I don't think that's the case with Trevor Davis. Uh, It's time to put up or shut up already. And he's got to show that he's more than just a track star. Uh, in order to stick around for another season with the Packers. The expectations are going to be high for him this year, and they're going to come very early. If he's not producing in training camp, I doubt he makes the 53-man roster. High expectations for Trevor Davis. Third man on the list shouldn't come as a surprise, and we won't spend a lot of time on this one. But Aaron Rodgers, of course we have high expectations for Aaron Rodgers. It would be foolish to have anything else. And he kind of falls into that subset of players for whom the expectations are just off the charts. If, if Aaron Rodgers, I mean, in 2015, Aaron Rodgers was stellar compared to an average quarterback, but compared to his own standards, he was a disappointment. And for a lot of the, the early part of 2016, he was there too. The expectations for Aaron Rodgers are high. It's expected that he play at an MVP level every year, and that's no different this year. He's going to have to play his very best for the Packers to have a shot at a Super Bowl, and, and that's what we expect from him. And I think that's that's probably what he expects from himself. So no need to go further in depth there. Of course, we have high expectations for Aaron Rodgers. Coming up next, though, our first player who's in a contract here, Devontae Adams. And I thought it was interesting. He meets three interesting criteria for players who tend to have high expectations. He's a former high draft pick, Uh, He had a promising season last year, and he's in a contract year. Three big points for a player who's going to end up with high expectations this year, and I think those are very justified. He's now two years removed from that really down season in 2015, had a great year last year, and I think we're expecting more of the same this year. It's not unreasonable to expect big things from Devontae Adams this year. Next up, Randall Cobb. And this one is this one is interesting. I, I wanted to do an episode of the podcast, and I'm not sure we're going to have time before the start of training camp, to talk about Randall Cobb in the same way we talked about Clay Matthews. He, he isn't as good as he was, or isn't as productive as he was three, four, five years ago. But I'm not sure he deserves the kind of heat that he's getting or the calls to restructure his contract. First of all, it's his contract. I, I, feel, I always feel stupid or silly talking about taking someone else's money away. Who am I to talk about how much money someone else deserves to be making? It's his contract. He can have it, whatever. That's that's beside the point. Should the Packers, though, expect more for a, from a guy making that much money? Yes, absolutely. I, I don't think even Randall Cobb would dispute that. I don't think he's happy with the year he had last year. And, and as a result, the expectations for him are higher, th- I think, than at about any other time in his career. Um, it's been a down couple of years, and even though he's still a young guy, you, you have to start to wonder about life after Randall Cobb if, if things don't begin to turn around a little bit. Interesting year ahead for Randall Cobb. Another contract year up next, Corey Lindsley along the offensive line. Packers let J.C. Treader walk because they had a lot of confidence in Corey Lindsley, who has, it bears mentioning, been injured quite a bit. 
He's had a lot of injuries throughout his career, as had J.C. Treader. Things have worked out a little bit differently for Lindsley than Treader, though, in that he's been able to avoid missing a lot of time in season due to those injuries. Whether he's able to do that this year and reward the faith that the Packers had in letting Treader go puts his expectations, for me at least, pretty high. The player immediately to his left is the next player on our list, Lane Taylor. Last year, I think the expectations for Lane Taylor were high just because of the situation that he got himself put into. He didn't ask for Josh Sitton to be cut unceremoniously at the end of training camp, but he got put into the the spotlight on the hot seat, whatever metaphor you want to use as a result. This year, it's all about Lane Taylor. He has to prove that last year wasn't a fluke, and he has to show that the Packers were right to move on from Josh Sitton or that it wasn't a crazy thing to do. I think he can do it, but the expectations, as I said, pretty high for him this year. Another offensive lineman, and I think think I've got every starter on the offensive line here uh, as someone with high expectations, but Jari Evans, it's it's a short one for him. He has to replace T.J. Lang. That's a pretty high bar, but the Packers brought him in because they thought he could at least be a reasonable approximation of what T.J. Lang was. Pretty high bar to meet, though, for a guy who has never been in Green Bay before as a member of the Packers. Brian Bulaga, to round out the offensive line, is our last player uh, among the, the starting offensive linemen who has high expectations. Last year was his best season as a member of the Packers, and I think his task this year is to follow that up and to be at least as good as he was in 2016. That's a lot to ask, I think, for Bulaga, who's had his, his own share of injuries throughout his career. Fair or not, you do get measured by how often you're available, and he hasn't been available a lot in the past through no fault of his own. But he'll have to live up to what he what he was in 2016, and if he can't stay healthy, I, I don't think there's a lot of ways for him to do that. Finally, an, another backup uh, on the offensive line, or uh, on, on offense, another player with some high expectations this year is Jason Spriggs. I wrote earlier this year about how I think the Packers could be in serious trouble if David Bakhtiari would would go down, and that's in part because we saw uh, Jason Spriggs play at times last year as a guard and in the preseason as a tackle, and it wasn't very pretty. He didn't look ready for NFL competition, in part because he was just too light and not quite strong enough. His task this year is to put those concerns to rest and uh, show that he is worth uh, the Packers trading up for him as they did in the draft two years ago. I think he can do it, and he's got certainly all of the athletic gifts that anybody could ask for. Uh, Just has to put it all together. That's the expectation for him this year. Martellus Bennett, another player for whom I have high expectations this year. Uh, The Packers didn't go out and make him one of the higher-paid tight ends in the league for nothing. They're expecting him to be the best receiving tight end that they've had since probably about 2012 when Jermichael Finley last played for an entire full season five years ago already uh, and it's it's a big task for Martellus Bennett uh, an interesting guy certainly off the field has to show that he can be as as good uh, in Green Bay as he's been elsewhere and, and do it consistently because the Packers have thrown quite a bit of money his way and it'll be interesting to see uh, how he performs throughout a full season This one is interesting. I I haven't gotten much feedback on this so far, but I have high expectations for Jeff Janis this year. It's it's time for him to show us once and for all if he's going to be a wide receiver or if he's going to just be a special teams player. It's it's been too long. 
it's been far, far too long. And I know there's the, the semi-conspiracy theory people out there who wonder if, you know, people are ignoring him or, or people are trying to not throw to Jeff Janis for, for some reason. I don't buy any of that. But I think if, if he was open, the Packers would be getting him the ball. Uh, he hasn't shown that he can get open consistently enough or, or do what he's supposed to do on offense. It's time for, for him to show that. Uh, and uh, it has to be now because much like with Trevor Davis, the Packers didn't draft two wide receivers this year because they were happy with their receiving core. It's time for somebody to step up, and it might as well be Jeff Janis. Two more high-expectation players on the offensive side of the ball, and we'll be out of here. Jordy Nelson is uh, is in a tough spot this year. Last year, if he didn't perform well, uh, the play, people could say he was just, just a year removed from that ACL injury. Okay, we, we can give him a pass on not playing well. But this year, you have to wonder if he doesn't, doesn't perform at least as well as he did last year, the, the whispers about age start to pop up. Is he declining? Is he, is he not as explosive a player as he used to be? Those would be legitimate questions because he's not getting any younger and, and age and knee injuries have a way of taking away a, a receiver's effectiveness very quickly. It's a pretty high bar for him this year just because he has to put the, both of those concerns to rest. Finally, rounding things out, Ty Montgomery has been doing and saying all of the right things as he makes that transition from wide receiver to running back. It's time for him to to show that the Packers' faith is justified. Sure, he's the stunning running back, but NFL can stand for not for long in a lot of different situations. And if he doesn't perform, specifically if he doesn't pass block, uh, it's going to be more of a novelty act for Ty Montgomery uh, than anything else. I I was thinking back to the Detroit game in Week 17 last year, how, how Montgomery, though healthy, was held out for most of that game just because he whiffed so badly on pass protection early in the game. If he can't pass protect, he's not going to have a successful season, and he's got to be able to keep Aaron Rodgers safe if he's going to stay on the field consistently this season. A big year ahead for him, or a big, big important year for Ty Montgomery. Interesting to see how he handles it. Hey, while I've got you here, got to remind you, uh, we're not going to be having a show here at Blue 58 next week. We're taking a little bit of time off. The wife and I are doing some traveling, heading up to Wisconsin this week for a wedding, and then uh, to the, the north woods of Wisconsin after that for a little R&R uh, as we uh, take a little bit of a midsummer break here. So don't be looking for a new episode of Blue 58 next Wednesday, but there still should be some good content coming from the Power Sweep throughout next week, although it may be a little bit more towards later in the week. Don't worry, nothing strange happening. That's We're just taking a little bit of time off, and uh, and that's all. We, we will be back on Blue 58 in two weeks with a look at our high expectations on the defensive side of the ball as we get very, very close to training camp. It's coming pretty quickly, and I'm excited. Hope you're ready as well, but just wanted to let you know that there's not going to be any show next week. And that's going to about do it for this week as well. Be sure to check us out at thepowersweep.com. Check out our Facebook and Twitter accounts there, facebook.com slash thepowersweep or twitter.com slash thepowersweep if you want to follow us on our various social media outlets. You can reach out to us via email as well at thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. We check that email regularly, and we are are pretty diligent about getting back to you if you have any questions there 
uh, just reach out to us and let us know. Of course, you can get in touch with us via our website as well at thepowersweep.com. We do love to hear from you. I've got some long-running email chains going with a couple listeners and readers, and I'd love to hear from more of you. And any feedback that you can give us helps us make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better, and it's helping all of us become better and smarter Packers fans. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you in two weeks on Blue 58.